0: First and Second Kings, we're going to look at King Josiah. Next week, by the way, we're starting the summer sermon suggestions, and we're starting with my own suggestion. <laughs> I'm going to be preaching about baptism. But uh, after that, we go off, and I've got a whole big list of things to look at. So uh, we'll be be kind of bouncing like a ping pong through different subjects, which I think is pretty cool myself. Uh, but if you would like to open up to 2 uh, Kings chapters 22 and 23... I'm going to call uh, Jeremy up here and have him read those, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> uh, that would be fun, but I, I won't do that to you. The, the subject we look at here is, is a good man who died young, and, and this is easy theology but difficult practice. Uh, we, we pretty much, everybody knows, sometimes it strikes really close to home, someone who dies young, and we have to deal with that. Especially the, the closer it strikes to home, the harder it is. Death is hard to deal with at any time. Uh, but, but why do some people die young? And it's, it's one of the haunting questions we can ask. This man, Josiah, that we're going to look at, did a tremendous amount of good. Uh, and, and then he dies young in battle. He dies uselessly in, in battle. Uh, was he being punished for presumption when that happened? Uh, was it supposed to happen? Because this is just the way it was. We're going to look at his amazingly faithful life. I mean, it is amazingly faithful, uh, followed by his useless young death. And we're going to see if we can learn something from a good man who died young. So, so remember, you may remember going through this with uh, Hezekiah not long ago, why he is the best king. We have 2 Kings chapter 22, verse 2, And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, and walked in all the way of David his father, and he did not turn aside to the right or to the left. In the next chapter, we read about his Passover that he led the nation in. 2 Kings chapter 23, verses 21 to 23. And the king commanded all the people, Keep the Passover to the Lord your God, as it is written in this book of the covenant. For no such Passover had been kept since the days of the judges who judged Israel, or during all the days of the kings of Israel, or of the kings of Judah. But in the eighteenth year of King Josiah, this Passover was kept to the Lord in Jerusalem. Yeah, it sounds and lot, you go, didn't we read almost those same words not long ago? Uh, and I'm saying, yeah, but it's really true this time. <laughs> 23 verse 25. Uh, On this talking about the same Passover, before him there was no king like him who turned to the Lord with all his heart and with all his soul and with all his might according to the law of Moses. Nor did any like him arise after him. And and so this could be, I think, is another because the same things were said about Hezekiah. uh, I think this may be an example of hyperbole, an overstatement to make a point. But it's it's knowing I'm I've said this about other people, but I can't tell you any other way. He's the best. He's the best ever. Uh, Second Chronicles uh, repeats the same same thing. Second Chronicles chapters thirty four and thirty five. They spend more time on Josiah than than uh, Second Kings does. Verses one through through three. Josiah was eight years old when he began to reign, and he reigned thirty one years in Jerusalem. And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, and walked in the ways of David his father. And he did not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. For in the eighth year of his reign, while he was still a boy, he began to seek the God of David, his father. And in the twelfth year, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of the high places and the ashram and the carved uh, and metal images. And he goes on and on about describing, you know, from a from a month to the time, he was a young kid, he was doing these things. Uh, chapter 18 of Second Chronicles, verse 35, or chapter 35. Uh, no Passover like it had been kept in Israel since the days of Samuel the prophet. None of the kings of Israel had kept such a Passover as was kept by Josiah and the priests and the Levites and all Judah and Israel who were present and the, inhabited, uh, the inhabitants of Jerusalem in the 18th year of Josiah. Uh, this Passover was kept. Uh, you know, there's no way to get around. This guy was a good king. He was a good and godly king. He was a man who sought after God and led the nation to, to seek after God. And, but what he did that was so impressive is, is really interesting to, to find. Uh, in 2 Kings chapter 22, verse 8, uh, you know, he gone, he's doing the same thing Hezekiah did. The temple has become abandoned. It's become a mess. Uh, Manasseh started cleaning it up towards the end of his reign. His son, uh, Ammon, I think his name was, did, 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 disrespected the temple he only reigned for two years Josiah steps in and he has them start cleaning up the temple again clean it up clean up all the filth there and while they're in there something amazing happens chapter 22 verse 8 of second kings and Hilkiah the priest said to Shaphan the secretary I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord and Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan and he read it I have found the book of the law of the Lord. It was in, or the book of the law, it was in the house. The first thing, we didn't know the book was lost. <laughs> you know we're never told and they lost the book of the law uh, we are never told that it was lost but what a terrible situation you come to church everybody stands around and says well here's the best I can guess this is might be what God wants us to do here's the tradition we have I don't know why we do it but I'm sure it honors God some way we have no idea how spoiled we are to have a book that we recognize as God's word that we all have and we can speak with confidence God's word you know when I when I come up here and i'm speaking with confidence hopefully i'm confidence about god's word and not my opinion right or my thoughts or what i read in reader's digest uh it's they didn't have that they were they were fumbling around trying to do well and they had little guidance aside from i think the reason this passover was like none other that had been kept is because it was kept biblically I think they had kept bigger Passover. In Solomon's pa- offering, they they passed, they passed counted they couldn't count the animals. says there was more than could be counted. Hezekiah, as he talks about all the animals, I mean there were big Passovers done before, but I think the distinction was he read in, in the book of the law, this is how it is to be done and I think they did it that way and they got rid of all the baggage of tradition and the way they did it this way and the way they did it then and they went back to the book and said, here's what the book says and we're going to do it. And so they did one like it had not been done we don't know by the way there's a lot of things we don't know about this book of the law that they found we don't know what it was right this might have been what we call today the Pentateuch the books of Moses Genesis Exodus Leviticus Numbers and Deuteronomy because those are often called the law and it might have been those five books it might have simply been Deuteronomy uh, which is, you know, the word Deuteronomy means second law. It, it would work. His response uh, to the danger, because listen to what Josiah did when they read the book of the law. Um when the king heard the words of the book of the law, this is starting at verse 11 in Second Kings 22. When the king heard the books of the law, he tore his clothes. And the king commanded Hilkiah the priest, and Ahikam the son of Shaphan, and Achbor the son of Micaiah, and Shaphan the secretary, and Asaiah the king's servant, saying, Go. Inquire of the Lord for me and for the people and for Judah concerning the words of this book that has been found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that is kindled against us. Because our fathers have not obeyed the words of this book to do all that is written concerning us. He says, go, find out what God wants us to do because we're in trouble. We read, Well, that corresponds really well with something we read in Deuteronomy. Uh, excuse me, Deuteronomy chapter 28 and it's just, it's too much to read. We're not going to try to read this whole thing. It would be like reading chapters 23 and 22 and 23 of, of Second Chronicles. But it starts at verse 15 of, 20, of chapter 28. And it goes through... Um, well, the end of the chapter, and the chapter goes has six, 68 verses. So, I mean, it's a lot. For if you will, will if you will not obey the, Lord, the voice of the Lord your God, and be careful to do His commandments, this is verse uh, 16, and His statutes that I command, then all these curses shall come upon you and overtake you. Cursed shall you be in the city. Cursed shall you be in the field. Cursed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Cursed shall be the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your ground, the increase of your herds, the young of your flock. Cursed shall you be when you come in and curse shall you be when you go out the Lord will send curses confusion and frustration and he just goes on and on and on with the curses that they are walking into because they have disobeyed and I read about three verses of the curses uh, uh, that that, that are there and his emphasis on on, oh no these things are going to happen to us because he recognized everything that, that he said if you do these these curses will come upon you they have done. They have earned the curses. They deserve to have the curses fall on them. They deserve the wrath of God to be poured out on them. He read God's word. He says, oh no, great argument for this being Deuteronomy that he read. But then later when we see how they observe the Passover, you can go, well, I think it was Exodus. <laughs> you know, I think, I think Exodus is in there because he read about the Passover and what they're supposed to do. And, and so it could have very well been all of it. And he just took the entire thing to heart. Uh, his emphasis on the Passover comes from there. We don't know what it was, exactly what this book of the law was. We find also he made a great emphasis on teachings of David that are really interesting because the best place we find them is in these same books, 1 and 2 Kings. We, we say 1 and 2 Kings, we might say, well, maybe 1 Kings was written first. First and 2 Kings in the Hebrew Bible is one book. We make it too because it's so big. <laughs> that's why the, that's why our Bibles have first and second Kings instead of just the Book of Kings. First and Second Chronicles. The Old Testament, when when you have a first and a second, it's because it was too big. And they wanted to make it fit on their scrolls, and so they divided it in two. And, and so it was uh it was one book, and so it's in this book. So whatever the sources are for First and Second Kings, that's probably the sources he researched and found. He did his homework to find out. What we do know is how he responded. And, and so the biggest thing he did was, was believe. That, that's the biggest thing Josiah did that made him such an awesome king, is he believed. He read God's word and he says, this is true, we have to do something about it. Because if you say, wow, this is true, and you don't do something about it, then I don't care what you call it, it's not belief, it's not faith, it's some kind of a mental concession to, the, to, to what you find, but it is not faith because faith requires action and Oh, Josiah, his faith resulted in action. We see how he responded. He didn't treat this, this book of the law as an interesting artifact. Hey, we found the book of the law. Really? Let me have a look at that. Wow, look at the cover. This thing's old. You know, you can just look at, is there a copyright in here? Yes, people bring me an old book. The first thing I look for is when was it printed? I, I, get, I get curious. I want to find out about it. I, I want to know those things. We, he didn't treat it, he didn't take it into storage You know, anybody remember Raiders of the Lost Ark, what they did with the Ark of the Covenant? You know, take it and put it in a box and put it in storage because we need to study this thing. Or or something like that. They did did not respond. What would our government do today? You know, if the Bible had been lost for 60 years, someone comes in and goes, Hey, I found one. (laughs) And we take it to the government, we say, Look what we did. They say, Hey, I know just where to put this, right? And they take it and it goes into the Smithsonian. You know, open to uh, Ecclesiastes. <laughs> so, yeah. and, and that's, that's I, I can't see our government, our government leaders responding in a good way to this. He didn't treat it as, as a, a, store, a museum piece. He didn't treat it as a valuable antique. He didn't treat it as just a curiosity. Uh, it, he recognized this as the word of God. And the big thing is not that Josiah found the book of the law. The big thing is that when Josiah found the book of the law, he responded in complete faith. He treated it as if it was the book of the law of God. And and we see Josiah's repentance. Uh, Chapter 22, verses 11 through 13. When the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his clothes. And I read this, he sent those different people with the hard to pronounce names, saying, Go inquire of the Lord for me and for the people and all Judah concerning the words of this book that has been found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that is kindled against us, because our fathers have not obeyed the words of this book to do according to all that is written concerning us. And he saw his guilt. And the thing is, is this is a good guy. We read when he was 80, he became king when he was 16, or at least in the eighth year of his reign. I assume he was 16, you know beers don't always correspond exactly. Maybe he was 15. <laughs> uh, he, he, he started cleaning the temple. He started doing what he could. Uh, when he was king, or he, he personally looked really good, but, but Josiah recognized something about himself. He was the king. He was the representative of the people, and he looked at his people, and he says, we are a sinful people. We are a people who have done wrong. We are a people who have incurred the wrath of God and deserve his wrath to be poured out on us. He tore his clothes. He sought God's will. This is what faith looks like when the word of God rebukes you. You read the word of God and you see something, you see something and you read along and you see the word gossip. You know, I I would much more easily confess that I sometimes talk about people Then confess that I'm a gossip. (laughs) 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 Because I don't like the word gossip. But then I look at it and I go, (sighs) I'm a gossip. Man, I hate that. I don't want to. So instead I look at the word of God and I go, you know what I do? Well, you know what? Here's what it says. But I'm not that bad. Yet God is against that. But there's other people who sin worse. There's other people who have done worse. There's other people who make me look good by comparison. In fact, I'm 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 man, I'm pretty high up that ladder gossip-wise. <laughs> when the word of God rebukes you, you do not justify yourself. When the word of God rebukes you, you repent. You confess. What does Josiah do? He saw the word of God. He saw what it said. And he personally was not guilty, but he looked at his people. He says, we are in serious trouble and he cries out to God he sends the, and God sends an answer to him he, but but he does not justify he, he did not question the accuracy of his source well you know let's check the languages <laughs> let's see what other scholars have said about this passage let's see what we can read in other places he did not challenge those things he did not question it he confessed the truth and he threw himself at God's mercy and, and it brought good news for him by the way second chronicle or second kings 22 14 through 20 so hilkiah the priest And Ahikam, and Achbor, and Shaphan, and Asaiah, went to Huldah the prophetess, the wife of Shalom, the son of Tikva, the son of Harhas, to keep these words were you know, people name their kids these things. Uh, uh, Keep her the wardrobe. Now she lived in Jerusalem in the second quarter, and they talked with her. And she said to them, "'Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, "'Tell the man who sent you to me, "'Thus says the Lord,' Behold, I will bring disaster upon this place and upon its inhabitants, all the words of the book that the king of Judah has read, because they have forsaken me and made offerings to other gods, that they might provoke me to anger with all the work of their hands. Therefore, my wrath will be kindled against this place, and it will not be quenched. But to the king of Judah, who sent you to inquire of the Lord, thus shall you say to him, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, regarding the words that you have heard. Because your heart was penitent and you humbled yourself before the Lord when you heard how I spoke against this place and against its inhabitants that they should become a desolation and a curse, and you have torn your clothes and wept before me, I have also heard you, declares the Lord. Therefore, behold, I will gather you to your fathers, and you shall be gathered to your grave in peace, and your eyes shall not see all the disaster that I will bring upon this place. And they brought back word to the king. So God says, you, Josiah, you have nothing to worry about. You, Josiah, have pleased me. And you will not see this disaster. And, and, and so he gets this personal good news. And, and this is where Josiah stands out so much from Hezekiah. Because if you remember Hezekiah, I know it was a few weeks ago, but let's go back just a couple chapters. 2 Kings chapter 20, verse 19. <clears throat> this is part of the message. I'll read verses 18 and 19. Then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, Hear the word of the Lord. Behold, 16 through. uh, Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house and that which your fathers have stored up to this day shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left of the Lord. And some of your own sons who will come from you, from whom you shall father, shall be taken away. They shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. Then Hezekiah said to Isaiah, The word of God, Lord, you have spoken, is good. For he thought, Why not, if there will be peace and security in my life? And Hezekiah, remember I called him a weasel, right? Uh, because he says, well, you know, that's their problem because there's peace in my time. Josiah gets almost the same message, and Josiah is not satisfied. Josiah is not pleased that it's going to bypass him but fall on his people. He is not pleased. He does not respond like Hezekiah does. And for that, for, to, to my mind, he stands head and shoulders above Hezekiah there. And what we find in chapter 23 uh, is, is that Josiah leads the nation in repentance. And, and without reading it, just take my word for it here, sorry. Verses 1 to 3, he publicly made a commitment to God and led the people to do the same. I will read those three. Then the king sent, then, meaning after they brought the word to the king that in his time he was going to be carried away in peace before these curses fell on them, Uh, after he received that, then the king sent, and all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem were gathered to him, and the king went up to the house of the Lord, and with him all the men of Judah, and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and and the priests, and the prophets, all the peoples, both small and great, and he read in their hearing the words of the book of the covenant that had been found in the house of the Lord, and the king stood by the pillar and made a covenant before the lord to walk after the lord and to keep his commandment and his testimonies and his statutes with all his heart and soul and to perform the words of the covenant that were written in the book and all the people joined in the covenant the king came up and he said as for me and my house he says you can do what you choose as for me and my house we will serve the lord i mean that's not the quote but you get the idea and all the people said me too as for me in my house That's what I'm doing. He led the people in this. He led the people to do this. He went on in verses uh, 4 through 20. He cleansed the temple. We see he's already been doing that. He cleanses the temple. He cleanses the land. He gets rid of everything used in Baal worship or Asherah worship. He gets rid of all the pagan priests. He defiles and breaks down the high places. You remember his grandfather Manasseh, the worst of the baddest of the bad, who burnt his son in the fire to Topheth, to, uh, up on Topheth, or in the valley of Hinnom, uh, to, to, to uh, the valley of Hinnom, to Topheth, to Molech, uh Josiah goes down and he burns the altar. <laughs> he destroys the place where they were killing children. He does that. He takes and he defiles the place where they were doing the bad things. He goes a step beyond uh, just simply not doing it. He destroys the potential to do it. He he got rid of the things that de- he got rid of the th- things that dated all the way back to Solomon. Remember Solomon, he, he married all those different women and they had their different gods and he built altars and temples and places for the worship of their gods to please his foreign wives. They led him astray. Josiah got rid of those. These things are 350 years old. That's how far Solomon predates Josiah. He went in. It's like going into Washington, D.C. and starting to tear down our national monuments because they're that well-established and that much a part of And by the way, that well-built and that expensive. And he goes in, he says, uh-uh. These things will not be part of my country. These things will not be part of the worship of God that my country follows, and he tears those things down. Uh, he led them in ter- destroying the high places at Bethel. Bethel is where uh, the prophet went up when, when where, where uh, Jeroboam, the first king of the northern countries, goes and he builds the puts the golden calves and the altars there, and he goes up and he defiles those altars, and they've been around for 300 years, and he goes and he destroys that, and he fulfills prophecy in doing all this. He does all these things, and then after he's done that or maybe while he's doing it, then he leads the nation in this Passover celebration. And here's my question, why bother? Why bother? You've already been told God says, as soon as you're gone, I'm punishing this place. All these things that I said, I'm going to bring on them. They are going to be punished because they have done these sins. You have found favor in my sight, so I'm going to wait till after your death but then I'm going to punish. Why did he bother to do it? Well, I think it's because when Josiah repented, God showed mercy. When Josiah repented, God saw his penitent heart and said, In your time, I will not do this. Guess why Josiah is leading the nation in repentance? I mean, it doesn't say, but I'm reading into this that he wants God to do the same for them as they turn to God with all their heart and their soul and their, their mind and their strength and, and, and worship him first, that God will have mercy on them in the same way. I, I think he's, he's thinking this kind of thing and he's trying to hope that God would spare them. And it's a doomed effort because, by the way, when Josiah dies, they get an evil king and the people immediately do evil with him. I, I don't understand the people. Uh, they're, they're some kind of religious chameleons, you know, but it is a a serious reminder for us, you know, we must not, by the way, Lynn, I thought that sounded like an accusation, we were really happy a year ago we found you guys, (laughs) you know, we, we as a church, we need to draw strength from each other. We as a church need to be here to support each other, to help each other, to make it easier for each other to walk following God. But our walk following God must not be dependent only on the church. It is dependent on our personal dedication to Jesus Christ, to God, to serve him, to follow him, to obey him. And if the church vanishes away, this sounds like the rapture. I don't want to say the church gets rapture and you don't. <laughs> 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 but, but if something happened and, and you find yourself without us, you need to be that dedicated to God anyway. And not find yourself somewhere else where they do something else. And because they do something else, you're doing that. right? You need to have the, de- because these people didn't. The people of this nation. While he was there, he was their strength. And they said, we're g- gathering our strength and our focus and our drive from you. But as soon as the next guy comes up, we're going with him. That's what these people did. And, but he made, you know, he did everything he could. He did everything that I think is humanly possible. The, 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 I mean, the, he just, man, this guy was awesome. It was a doomed effort. But if nothing else, this, may, this response makes Josiah the greatest king since David and maybe including David. This guy is, is, is uh, uh, just, you know, ladies, you have another baby, it's a boy, name him Josiah. So. <laughs> okay, and then we move on, we find Josiah's useless death. A death that accomplished, it was a meaningless death. Uh, chapter 23, Second Kings, starting at verse 28. Still the Lord did not turn away from the burning of his great wrath, by which he, his anger was kindled against Judah, because of all the provocations which Mass had evoked him. Okay, that's not the verse I want. Oh, aha. Okay, yeah. Uh, Now, the rest of the acts of Josiah and all that he did, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Judah? In his days, Pharaoh Necho, king of Egypt, went up to the king of Assyria to the river Euphrates. King Josiah went to meet him, and Pharaoh Necho killed him at Megiddo as soon as he saw him. And his servants carried him dead in a chariot from Megiddo and brought him to Jerusalem and buried him in his own tomb. And the people of the land took Jehoahaz, the son of Josiah, and anointed him and made him king in his father's place. So so this is almost as simple as it sounds when we read this. Um, Pharaoh Nico is coming up from Egypt with his army to Assyria, and there's this little country you have to pass through <laughs> when you 're going that way it 's called israel right and and in Israel as you 're heading north and you want to go east there 's this really great valley that for an army to pass through called sometimes the, ba- the valley of uh, Jezreel, sometimes the Valley of Megiddo. Okay, And Pharaoh Nico and his army, they want to pass cut through here because it's a great route to get up to Assyria with your army. I mean, the armies love wide open spaces. They don't want to march single file or double file or triple file through, through army passes. They want to march up big valleys. And this is, this is a great location for him to do this. And, and so you have this, this massive army of Pharaoh going up to Assyria. And by the way, they're not going up to go to war with Assyria. This, is, this gets really interesting. They're not going up to go to war against Assyria, which would be historically more likely. They are going up to be the allies of Assyria against this upstart young prince from Babylon who goes by the name of Nebuchadnezzar. <laughs> and, and they don't win, by the way, uh, because uh, Nebuchadnezzar is, is going to be making a visit to Jerusalem in about two years. Um, but, but anyway, so as Nico's going by... Josiah says, You're not cutting through my country. I don't care who you are. We don't know why Josiah did this. The Bible doesn't tell us why. Uh, It it doesn't tell us. Some people think he was disobedient. I don't think he was disobedient because it's an interesting thing. The Bible says it said there that you will be gathered to your people in peace, and he died in war. And you go, (laughs) He was at peace with God. He was at peace with God. His soul was not troubled. He was at peace, okay? But, but he says, you're not passing through. And so Josiah and his itty-bitty little Judah army, <laughs> they go up there and they say, you shall not pass. <laughs> you know? And Pharaoh Necho says, swat. And he marches on through. And, and Josiah accomplished absolutely nothing by his death. You know, he may have had a vision of God working through him to stop them. He may, have, he may have been wanting to support Babylon, seeing them as a better, better uh, country to have as a superpower than either Assyria or Egypt. He may have just simply uh, said, this bothers me, I, I'm the king here, and, and you can't do it. We don't know why he decided to go do this. Uh, we just know that he did. And, and so he goes and tries to stop them, and it's utterly ineffective, and he's 39 years old. He was was eight years old when he became king, and he reigned for 31 years. His death accomplished nothing. They did not beat the Egyptians. They did not stop the Egyptians. They did not slow down the Egyptians. Maybe barely slowed them down. On the way back, the Egyptians got beat, but on the way back, there's still a sizable army. And they stop by in Jerusalem, and they say, this guy you wanted for king? He's not king. We're making this one king, his brother. And they changed his name just to prove that they could. Then they went down to back to Egypt. And in two years, Nebuchadnezzar came in and he says, Now nah, he's not king anymore. <laughs> My king is. So, so Israel is at this point just a, a vassal state. And Josiah died for nothing. But the point of this message is not, uh, it, it is not how do we live, but what do we do with death? Uh, when a good person dies young, when an innocent person dies young, we struggle with the sense, we want it to mean something. We want to find significance in it. We want it to matter. And the real point of this sermon is about how do we respond to what we call an untimely death. And the first principle, and like I say, this is easy theology, but it's not good counseling. Never go up to someone who is hurting and struggling with an early death and say, This is theologically true. God never lost anyone to death, ever. Because if you're going to heaven, then you go to heaven. God does not lose you. For us, it's it's a great iron curtain. You know, it's a great separator, one side to the other. We lose people to death, for a time. But God has never lost anyone to death. But that's not easy comfort. When someone has lost someone. It's a true statement. It's a great statement for you to remember. And when you struggle with this, remember it. right? And hopefully it will be a comfort to you. But be careful how you try to share with someone who is in pain when that happens. So that's the first principle. The second principle is it's only pride or maybe arrogance that makes us think our death is supposed to be meaningful. Who am I that I think my death, I would love to die a significant death. You know, I, and I, I've told you this before, I want bragging rights in heaven. You know, I want, I want to die as a martyr who helps other people get away or survive or, or, or win, right? And so I go to heaven and I go, look at me, you know, yeah, I did something. I, you know, it's like I, I would love to have a significant death. I think for that reason I'll probably die in my sleep someday <laughs> because we, love to, we like to glorify ourselves, we like honor for ourselves. We like to think we matter. You know, most deaths, face it, are not significant in making an impact on the world. Why do we think they should be? You know, I'll tell you something. If you want to make an impact on the world, do it while you're alive. And the reason Josiah matters is not because he died. What Josiah matters is because he lived. And when he lived, he served God with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength. He is the living example of a person who did this. He is not impressive because of how he lived. We we don't have a lot of choice in that. You know, sometimes you do. Sometimes you get to be the guy who jumps on the grenade to save your buddies. But but not many people have that dubious privilege. Uh, We don't have a lot of choice usually in how we die. Uh, and, 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 but we do have a choice in how we live. And it's our living that makes our dying matter. None of us knows how many days we've been given. We don't know that. I was once told at a friend whose mom was a little bit odd when I was in high school, and she prophesied over all of us kids, you know, 15, 16 years old. It might have been 17 or 18, I don't know. But she, she came to me and she says, you're going to die young helping somebody. I thought, <laughs> well, I can tell you right now I'm 20 years older than she was <laughs> when she said I was going to die young. I think whatever your definition of young is, <laughs> something, something went wrong, <laughs> and I know it was her prophecy. We don't know how many days will be given. We don't know any of those things, but I'll tell you something I do know. I do know you have today. Today. And I do know your, matter can, your life can matter today. And if today is not wasted and you die tomorrow, then eternity was not wasted on you. Uh, you, you're, you're, if, if, you if your life matters today and you die tomorrow, then, then uh, as was written down, yeah, your life has mattered. That, that's what it takes to make your life matter. It's not when we die, how young we die. It's, it's does our life matter while we're here? Uh, it's the best answer I have. You know, there may be better answers out there. There may be more out there. But we finish up the book of Kings with the last good king. And I'm not going on to the rest who are all bad kings. <laughs> uh, they say the book of Judges, the book of First and Second Kings. Make a difference for God with your life. And don't worry about your death. Let's pray. Father God, I I thank you for this man who did so well. And Lord, we know that his life was not wasted, and his death was not wasted. It was all in your hands. You know our days before they come. Father, we do not, but we know we have today, and let us today be faithful to you. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.